welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about agriculture in education on today's program. And I uh, just was having this conversation at home. I've got three, uh, three kids that are considering, well, what do I do for elective classes next year? And this was kind of one of those things of, well, what do you want to do? What are you interested in? And what's offered for agriculture? And it's something that we see at a lot of schools becoming, uh, well, they, they might keep it. They might not. They might not even offer it. They might not have a teacher. It's what a challenge it is as you travel around the country. In some areas, of course, ag is really strong and programs like FFA are, are there. Uh, I know my oldest son uh, got to do welding in in high school as a class, and that was pretty cool to him. Uh, so there's there are some different offerings out there, but it's strange to me. I've got an eighth grader, and I asked her, I said, well, when can you get into an ag class? What ag classes are offered? And she's like, they didn't even talk to us about that. I thought, you got to be kidding me. I, that was one of the things I was most excited about getting to high school when I was growing up is, oh, this is awesome. There weren't ag classes offered in elementary or middle school. But when I got to high school, I could finally take ag classes. And even uh, the way things worked out for me, they had a basically a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior offering I had to take the sophomore offering my freshman year just because of the way my classes stacked up. And that, that was kind of fun. I got to know kids in the grade a year above me that I really hadn't had a class with before. So I uh, had some different opportunities. But I think about all the things we did in those ag classes just in our local community. I grew up in a small town. We still farm just outside of that small town. Uh, we planted trees around the new football field that are still there today. And every time I go by, I, I tell my kids, hey, do you, do you know who planted those trees? And they're all like, oh, come on, Dad. Are you going to tell us the same story for the 20th time? And I said, no. But what was cool about it is I had actually done that on our farm a number of different times. So I brought some knowledge, and we had a neighbor of ours who was – Boy, he was probably 70 years old at the time, and, and he volunteered to come in and work with kids and show them about this, and and I picked up some tips from him, and I could obviously see the trees that he had planted over his lifetime, and I uh, just talked to him a little bit about strategy, and, well, how did you do that, and uh, why did you put this particular variety on the outside or the inside rows and those kinds of things, and it, it's stuff that I know this summer I've got trees to plant, and uh, I will still think about those lessons. So it was pretty cool. They're really neat life skills. I got to do welding. Uh, one summer we built a garage and did that as a fundraiser for FFA. So we got to do everything from concrete work to putting shingles on the top. And uh, that was really neat. There were some of those jobs that I hadn't done before. And for a lot of kids, it was their first taste of any kind of construction. And it was neat just talking about how do you figure slope on a roof and all the other lessons that you could do. It was really fun. Our, our instructor really got into that. And um, it, it does come down to are there good people that are passionate about agriculture that are going to be teaching some of these skills that we had? Uh, the livestock judging that we got to do, the 
land judging and, and soil type um, things that we did. It was fun. It was really, it was the first root pit that I was ever in was in FFA growing up in high school. And that was really interesting to see. It inspired me and I'm sure it inspired Brian too, because he got to take the same classes just a couple years earlier than me. Um, what are some things that are possible? What are some other ways of doing things out there that, that our grandparents and parents had never tried? Um, it just generated a lot of conversation. I think learning about agriculture is wonderful. I think even for the kids that were, um, as we would call them, town kids, that they didn't have parents or grandparents or close relatives that were farming, uh, for a lot of them it really created great discussion to ask of the farm kids, well, is this really how you do it? Is this really uh, what you know, having a cow calf operation is like. And so it was just great discussion and it brought us all closer together. And now we've got so many people that really do want to know what's going on with their food supply and how it's being raised. And we're kind of losing some of these connections that we've got. So I want to talk about ag education. We'd love to hear from you what a difference that's made for you. Maybe some suggestions you've got or some things that you've seen be successful in your local communities. Uh, and our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, we're going to do that. We're also going to dive into some questions. we got a bunch of questions that have come in for the Ag PhD mailbag. Let's jump in there right now. It's the mailbag! All right, got a question that came in from Mike, and he said, I want to ask you guys about boron and foliar feeding. Specifically, I'm curious about foliar feeding boron on soybeans. Do you see a yield response from that, and at what stages should you apply boron? Hey, these are good questions, Mike. With with soybeans, there are a lot of nutrients that are important. You've obviously got a bunch of essential nutrients, and I'm assuming you've got enough quantity of all those other things, and, and you're seeing on tissue tests or soil tests that boron is kind of the last thing that you've got to fix. If so, could you foliar feed it on soybeans? Absolutely. There are a lot of growers that do that. Uh, they're generally doing that, especially towards the reproductive stages, but uh, many growers will tell you, you know what, I'm putting a little bit of boron on every time I go through the field in soybeans. So maybe I'm making three or four passes in the field and I'm throwing a, a pint or a quart on or something like that every single time. Uh, so it, it can be done. I, I would say this, though. If you say, well, I don't know what my soil tests are. I don't know what my plant tissue tests are. I'm just curious. Is boron something that will add yield? I can't say that. If you're short of N, P, or K, and those are the yield limiting factors, then adding boron isn't really going to help a whole lot. So I would suggest doing doing some trial work, doing some soil testing, some tissue testing, and then also just try some strips of boron and see if it makes a difference for you. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. And we'll be right back after this. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. 
They'll hate all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of growers' success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us. Take it from agronomy manager, Nate Honeck. We've seen tremendous weed control that was sprayed in dry, hot conditions with uh, very little rain within two weeks after application. Very easy application. Definitely tank mix well with the various products we used. Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 PhD or by email radio at agphd.com. Real happy to have Cindy Heidelberg around with us right now with South Dakota Ag in the classroom. Got a lot of stuff going on in South Dakota, and keeping agriculture in front of kids is super, super important. Cindy, thanks for being on. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you've always got so much to talk about because you're active <laughs> and you're passionate about this. And I think, you know, we we're, were talking about to open up the show that just having people who are passionate about ag in front of our kids is really the key. It really is because, you know, there's so much that they are bombarded with, you know, social media wise and so many other things that can draw their attention. But if we're able to put them in a position where they're able to look around at the world around them and see how they connect with that and how their impact will be felt not only now, but in the future, I think that's a win-win for everybody. And it kind of gets them out of their, out of their screened in zones, so to speak. Well, I think it's it's something a little bit different, and I know my dad talked about this uh, uh, when I would ask him about this. What what kind of opportunities did he have? He goes, well, I'll tell you one thing. He goes, I knew agriculture was important because if we were planting, if we were harvesting at home, and I had a study hall in the afternoon, uh, I was just free to go. Farming was way more important <laughs> than being there, and he said there was never any issue at school. They're just expected farm kids are gonna gonna be taken off in the afternoon, so we better have all the important classes in the mornings. I don't know if that, <laughs> that happens anymore. <laughs> I don't think. You know, I was just subbing in high school science last week, and you know what? Nope, they did not get up and leave so that they could, you know, go and and plow the back forty. <laughs> <laughs> But we can apply all of our agriculture all the way across the curriculum areas. There's something that can can fit into every classroom. And I think that's where we've kind of maybe forgotten or missed the mark is realizing just how much agriculture infiltrates our daily life. Hey, you know, 
That's that's one thing too, because I I kind of do this with kids uh, when my kids ask me for help with homework and they're working on chemistry. I say, oh, well, these are well. How do you know nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium and all these <laughs> things? I'm like, I talk about this every day. This is how we feed our crops, right. and you know, we talk about things in the science classes and we talk about things in math and. Uh, kids will say, well, what about algebra? I'm like, are you kidding? As a farmer, I use algebra every day. They're like, no, you don't. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Have you ever figured out a feed ration? (laughs) You're going to need a little algebra to make that work. Right. Um, But I think that there are other areas that we forget that that agriculture has an implication. Um, and I think if you look at social studies, um, that's that was how we got into the classrooms within fourth grade, was linking our social studies story, our state origin story, to agriculture. Um, because it's how you feed your people. It's how transportation took place. It's how houses and and civilization was built. It was built around agriculture. If we don't have the, the food to feed our individuals and, and our animals, then <laughs> there won't be much of a culture. Um, you know, even from an English standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud SDSU jackrabbit out of the communication studies and theater um, world, but I tell the story of agriculture every day um, and point students to making sure that the stuff that they're reading out there is applicable, that it's current, credible, and comprehensive, and to test um, what they're reading and what they're ingesting with, with logical science-based facts so that they can, they can formulate appropriate decisions. That, that is really important. And, you know, we think about just how many folks uh, get up every day and want to eat food and want to have transportation <laughs> and want to be in a nice warm house in February in South Dakota. Uh, that's right. everybody. And you're right. <laughs> so it is, it is pretty easy to tie agriculture into just about everything. It is. And it's really important to tie it back to the community. Um, how much our producers, whether they're in the ag business world, the ag communications world, the marketing world, or our production world, they are giving back to our communities and uh, in terms of leadership, in terms of dollars, in terms of educational support. A lot of them are serving on um, municipal um, boards and serving on school boards, but they're also filling the stands at all of the activities. And I think we miss that correlation to how much agriculture and education really do go hand in hand and support one another. You know, it's been interesting, Cindy, and we we see uh, crop farmers a little bit different than livestock producers. And I'm just going to use livestock producers here as as an example. So we've got a large dairy that's right by our farm, and we see Mm -hmm. trucks coming in with supplies. We see trucks (laughs) going out with milk. We see cattle coming in. We see feedstuffs coming in. And we just see what an impact that has made on our community. And it's so obvious that agriculture mm-hmm. just uh, with just with that dairy coming in, uh, I think about mm-hmm. how everybody around. I mean, dozens and dozens of farmers that are going to be involved th- with this dairy. Uh, it's just changed everything for us. It has, and I think you know we forget sometimes the areas that we don't see. Um, you know, a lot of our focus right now on fifth grade science curriculum is based on soil health, and really realizing how interdependent it all is. If we as human beings don't care for the soil, the basic foundation upon which all other things are built, we won't have good and healthy crops. And so that will impact those that are the seed dealers, those that are formulating all of our chemists, all of our geneticists that would impact their jobs. And if you don't have those good and healthy crops, well, then you won't be able to feed your livestock. And ultimately, you won't be able to create the products and feed the individuals 
with those crops um, additionally. So it's it's a it's a whole cycle of interdependence. If we could if we could embrace that, I think we would be much further down the road. Wow, and soil is so fascinating when you think about all the biology, all the living things that are in soil that yep. make it all work, and then of course the chemistry side of it too. Uh, it, it's really fun. I I take my kids out soil sampling, Cindy, and they love it. They actually mm-hmm. love. I mean, after a while they get tired of it, yes, and after a while, <laughs> yes, it's a cold day or it's too windy or whatever. Right. But but they really like it, and and we just talk about some of these things. Of all right, you just pulled that soil core. How many? millions or billions of living things are in that soil and you know here's what the results are look what we have to do we have to add some more calcium or we have to add some more phosphorus mm-hmm. or whatever it's it's really important and then and just looking at productivity of one field versus the next uh you're right that that soil health and and the soil science is so key it really is but i think there's another aspect that uh the the energy that that comes from our soil and being grounded to creation being grounded to the earth um, i work with a lot of high school and uh, uh elementary and middle school students with our garden program and you would not believe how many students um, their anxiety level, their activity level. Um, some of our kiddos that are dealing with ADHD and autism, the second they sink their hands in the soil, there's a calming effect. Um, we now have what we are calling digger beds at some of our younger schools because students have never had an opportunity to go out and dig a hole and just have that interaction with the soil as a living, breathing organism. They mistake it for dirt. Well, there's a big difference between dirt and soil. And so we're really seeing a mental health aspect um, happen because we are exposing and giving students an opportunity to interact with that living soil. Wow. I, I take that for granted, Cindy, that I get to go dig in the dirt whenever I want to. I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, if you're in town and you have a small yard or maybe you're in an apartment, you don't have those yeah. chances. Yeah, there is a school that we've got right now, MB, over on Ralph Rogers Road. As we built a couple of, of teaching gardens there, one of their requests was for specific digger beds, and they're about half the size. And it's for uh, those individuals, those kiddos, especially the littles, will go out and dig. But those individuals, too, that are dealing with some of our mental health aspects is um, they will go out and maybe their anxiety level is way, way higher. They're on, on the verge of maybe having a break. They will go and dig a hole. Um, one of the teachers will go out later and refill that hole. And the next day, they're back there digging the same hole because there's something grounding about it. There's something calming. There's something that calls back to them that allows them to recenter and 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 drive down the energy so that they can be present to the activities and the work that they need to be present to. Well, bringing us back to our roots as humans, uh, mm-hmm. reconnecting with the soil, the energy coming from the soil, and everything that results from raising those crops, raising those livestock, so important. Uh, Cindy, uh, we're talking with Cindy Heidelberger here with South Dakota Ag in the Classroom. Cindy, you're really inspiring. We really appreciate having you on, and good <laughs> luck to you here this spring. Thanks much. You too. Talking about ag in the classroom, ag in education on today's program. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got some solutions or some ideas about this, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential. 
maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every season, you're collecting yield data on virtually every acre of your farm. But what good is your data if you never use it? Put it to work with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal, ensuring your crops get what they need right where they need it, no matter what equipment you run. Go to Verify.com to find an expert to help you get started. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Today we're talking about agriculture in education. And I think if I did a survey of every farmer out there and said, what what do you need? What would help you on your farm? A majority of farmers would say, you know what would help me is some passionate young people coming up that are ready to take over the farm. They're ready to help me for a while. I can train them and eventually they can take over things. We're always looking for good people. And with agriculture, it's it's pretty cyclical. There are there are ups and downs. There's years where we get no rain. There's years where we get too much rain and, and everything in between. And so there's going to be great successes. There's going to be some failures along the way. Uh, you got to have somebody that has some passion and, and knowledge to be able to make it through. Uh, real happy to have Laura Hasselquist with us right now to talk about this just a little bit. How you doing, Laura? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Talk to us a little bit about what you do with, with agriculture in education. Yes. Well, I am actually an associate professor of agricultural education at South Dakota, South 
South Dakota State University. So I actually help prepare future ag teachers to go over and go into the classroom and and um, be high school ag teachers and run their FFA chapters. That is awesome. You know, I, I've always thought this of who becomes an ag teacher, who goes to college and said, man, I want to be an ag teacher. I would guess more times than not, it's somebody who had a great ag teacher themselves coming up. You know what? That is a great insight. Yes, we actually find it's um, about a 50-50 split. And some of them had really powerful ag teachers and great ag teachers and great mentors around them. And that's why they want to go on and continue. And they had such a great time. They want to be passionate. They want to share that experience with other students. And we also find students who did not have that experience. And that's okay. And that's motivated them to go into the classroom so they can be what they didn't have. And I think that's awesome. And now we're even starting to see a third wave of students who have never maybe had an egg class but wanted to be in an egg class. And so they're going to become egg teachers so every student can have an egg teacher. So it's really fun to see this diverse, uh, cross section of students come into our classrooms. Interesting. Yeah, there's there's uh, a lot of things that I would think would make a great ag teacher. And for me, passion is is number one. But uh, you're actually involved in this. You you actually are the person helping with this. What what do you need to make a great ag teacher? Right. Well, I think um, to to be fair, like you need the same skill set that any good teacher needs, which is some flexibility, some passion, some enthusiasm, some drive. But of course, you have to have that love of the agriculture industry because you know you spend all day long talking about um, everything from taking care of your dog to out there fixing engines to doing a welding class to learning about how to run your greenhouse. So you have to really be interested and want to learn and want to be involved in a variety of things because to be a teacher is to be a learner. And agriculture is a great field because there's so much to learn in so many different areas to work in and to help students learn about and find and spark their passion so they can go on and find their place in the agriculture industry. My kids are excited. There's a greenhouse going up at their school, and they're hoping by next season they'll be using that greenhouse. And uh, what are all the possibilities when you have uh, facilities like that? It, do you find facilities being a challenge for schools? Do you find just finding teachers or just finding space in the curriculum to even have ag classes? What are some of the big challenges that you face? Yeah, those are all great questions. I so I, you know, every school is unique. And so what I think the biggest challenge right now is agriculture education is very, very popular. We're having schools contact us on a regular basis that they've never had an egg program before, or they had one in the 60s and it died out and they're trying to bring it back. And so finding a qualified teacher or even anybody who's willing to step up and be a teacher is the biggest challenge. And so if I had one call to your listeners, I would challenge them to help find ag teachers out there. So if you see a kid that's doing a great job with their 4-H project or is a good leader or is awesome at Cub Scouts, encourage them to go into the classroom and encourage them to think about being an ag teacher because the more people we can get interested in the classroom, the more people like who can help our farmers. When you want to be an ag teacher, so say that I'm a young person listening to the show today and I say, man, this sounds great. Uh, what do I need for a degree? Is this something where just a, a bachelor of science degree is good? Do I need to go on and get a master's or a doctorate? What what level of education do you need to be an ag teacher today? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I will say is it does kind of depend on the state. 
but most states you can become a teacher with a four-year degree and you can become you know become a certified ag teacher in a four-year degree a few states require you to have a master's degree but almost everybody requires you to have a four-year degree um, there are other paths into the classroom we sometimes call those art, uh, alternative certification so for example um, if you are maybe have a degree in animal science and you go home and you really enjoy the farm but maybe something happens and you're like I this is not a good fit for me anymore and I want to go into the classroom we have people who can actually start teaching and then work towards licensure in the process it does come with some challenges and some ups and downs but that is also a path forward yeah, there, there are a lot of different backgrounds out there. I know just with some of the ag teachers I've worked with, everybody's got a little different path to, to how they got there. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you're right, they've got to have that passion and, uh, and and just a variety of skills that they know, too. I know our ag teacher growing up was really strong in a few areas, and in other areas he wasn't quite as strong. And sometimes we would see some parents come in and, hey, this parent is really great at welding. <laughs> let's, let's learn a little bit from them, too. And I thought it was a great opportunity to to get parents involved too is that something that you still see today coming into wood shop or welding or or maybe even the greenhouse or something like that that uh, they, they get other parents involved too absolutely we really hope and we work with our students to remember like when you're the ag teacher you might be in charge of the program but it's really the community's program so wherever your community is located Turn to those experts. You might have parents, you might have business owners, you might have farmers who can help you out in very strategic ways. So we encourage you to have them come in and be guest speakers, maybe coach a livestock judging team or your agronomy team, or even work with your vet office to have them work with your vet science kids. Um, You know, use your local community experts wherever they are to help you improve your program because that program in most cases was there before you and will be there after you. So you need to set it up for success in that community and having strong community ties is so vital. Laura, I've got five teenagers right now, which probably explains some of the gray hair and uh, lack of sleep and those types of things I'm going through. But one thing that it does uh, offer me, though, is an opportunity to look at lots of different schools, to think about all the things that go into picking the right school and the place that that they want to end up. And I've got... um, uh, a daughter that's looking to get into the medical field and she's looking at, well, what are the entrance requirements and uh, are schools accepting a, a certain number of students, these types of things? Is there a limit with a lot of programs, like at South Dakota State, for example? Uh, is there room to add more students? Is it really hard to get into? Uh, are, are there some challenges to get into this field? Well, that, that's a great question. And so, no, we do not have any um uh, admission restrictions or anything like that. So if you want to be a teacher, and I can, I am going to speak for all my colleagues, but if you're a fellow Ag Ed colleague across the country, we would love to have anybody and everybody that's interested in being a teacher. We do not have limits like that on our program because teaching is so vital that we know that there's a huge shortage. We know there's a lot of vacancies. And so the more teachers we can turn out, the more we can have a positive impact on this um, on the agriculture industry. So we will take anybody that is that is interested in being an ag teacher. 
Well, that's one of the great things about agriculture right now. Job placement is very high. If, if you go to school, if you do a good job, if you show you're a good student and work hard, uh, there, there is a job waiting for you. And we're talking about ag education specifically today. And, and there's quite a need across the country for good ag teachers. And Laura Hasselquist up at South Dakota State University is one of the people that's turning out these teachers. Uh, and we really appreciate that. Laura, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for what you do as well. Yes, thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. Well, I know for me, I wasn't going to be an ag teacher, but I really wanted a farm. I just had a passion for it. And you know what? Uh, some would say, well, you are kind of teaching a little bit. You're sharing about what you're doing on the farm. Hey, we're always happy to do that. And, and we're always happy to take questions. If you've got something on your farm we can help you with, our email address is radio at agphd.com. And you can always call us on our show as well, 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. We'll be right back. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash face. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of growers' success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us. Take it from farmer Rob Schaefer. Residuals have become a big part of our chemical programs with trying to battle water hemp and also mare's tail is our big one. It's done a real good job of controlling those. You don't have to you know, put a bunch of gallons in your sprayer, cover a lot of acres that way. Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions. What's the difference between John, who bought Enlist One Herbicide, an Instinct Next Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket. Choose True Choice and get up to 10% back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com slash save more. On your farm, you spend thousands on fertilizer every season. But how do you know if any nutrient you apply is paying for itself? Build a fertility plan like never before with Verify. With Verify's soil point to yield analysis, you can automatically see the connection between your soil test and yield data to see which fertilizer dollars will make you money and which won't. Go to Verify.com to get started today. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest-lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. 
This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio today. We've been talking about agriculture and education. Brandon and I both went to a four-year school, and I've gotten a chance to talk to a lot of young farm kids coming up that say, oh, I don't know, four years to be away from the farm just seems tough. And I get a neighbor right now, and I was asking him about his son, and he's like, well, what's your son going to do after graduation? And he said, well, he would drop everything and come back and farm immediately if I would let him. But I've told him he has to go to school and he really doesn't want to go. And a lot of times I find that that uh, there are other alternatives versus, well, it's either got to be all this way, you got to go to a four-year school, or, or all this way, we just go directly to farming. There are some happy mediums in there too. There, there are definitely a lot of... Um, two-year type programs out there, whether it's even at land-grant universities. Many of them, like my alma mater, South Dakota State University, has a two-year ag program where you don't have to take a lot of those classes that you don't really want to take. You just focus more on the ag classes. Um, it's a good alternative, and it, it often gets kids in that say, you know what, this isn't so bad. I kind of like kind of like the college experience, I might stick it out for a four-year thing, or, or maybe you figure out, you know what, two years is enough, and I just want to get back to the farm. There's a lot of different ways to do things. Um, I, I do think if your goal is to be a full-time farmer, um, there are a lot of skills that go into being a farmer, and maybe you've got great teachers at home, maybe between your, your family, maybe there's someone to teach you about accounting and teach you about mechanics and teach you all these things. Um, my dad ended up going into the military for a little while out of high school. And I was talking to him about this one time and I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, I did electronics in the military. And I, I said, why did you pick electronics? He goes, because I didn't know anything about it. And I figured they would be very good teachers and they were. And he said, so I had, you know, plenty of skills that I thought I had or things that I was interested in doing at least, but that was one I had no interest in and didn't know anything about. And I ended up uh, learning a lot of stuff there that I've been able to use my whole life. I think as a, as a young person, you just have to realize, Hey, there are a lot of different things I'm going to have to do to be successful in whatever I'm going into and finding programs that can, can teach you some of those things that, uh, all right, I, if I'm fantastic at the, um, animal science portion, I can always hire somebody to help with this or, or maybe my uh, brother or sister or whoever that I'm going to work with is going to handle that side of the business, which honestly has been the case for Brian and me. We've got completely different skill sets and, and it works great. They, they really complement each other most of the time. So anyway, we're just talking ag education today. I, I really appreciated the guests that we had on and uh, the feedback that we've gotten as well. So I want to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag. There's quite a few questions here, and I'm not going to get through all of these today. So if you had one and uh, I didn't get to it, uh, just just be patient with us, but uh, we'll, we'll get to it here over the next few days, hopefully. So this one comes in from Paul out in Colorado. And he said, I'd like to use Anthem Max as my pre-emerge or early post-herbicide in corn this spring. However, 
I would like to seed rye in the fall after the corn silage is chopped. Do you see any issues with the residual herbicides affecting my rye stand? My pH is in the upper 7s to low 8s. It's 7.6 to 8.1. My cation exchange capacity is pretty high. It's 18 to 26. I do have irrigation, and with irrigation and rainfall, we normally get about 25 inches of water uh, on the ground each year. Well, Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. You've got a nice weapon there with the irrigation. Uh, I would really love on our farm. So we we do a similar thing. We put oats out after we chop corn silage. And we're just trying to get ground cover and protect against erosion. We don't intend to harvest. We don't intend to graze. We don't intend to do anything with that oat crop other than just have it hold the soil in place and keep something living in our field throughout the rest of the growing season. That's that's our goal. For you, I'm not sure what your goal is with the rye, and I, I would be curious to know that. If you are trying to put the rye out there in order to have more feed for the cattle, um, I've got an uncle um, that he likes to grow cover crops and then graze it all through the fall and early winter. That that to us is really a cash crop. It's really not a true cover. It's There's another economic purpose and economic benefit there of having it, but I guess everybody looks at it a little different. Well, if you're looking at, will I reduce my tonnage? Will I reduce my stand if I've got residual herbicides out there? The answer is probably yes. You probably will see a little less than if you left a check strip out there uh, to see. But what I would recommend if you are willing to do some experimentation is on that pivot where you're going to be putting this cover crop out, maybe just stop using the residual once you get to 20 acres left or 10 acres left or something on, on the end of the field. And then you can compare what kind of rye stand you get in the treated and the untreated. And then in the untreated area, you're probably going to have to make an extra post application. If you're planting Roundup-ready corn, for example, you'd have the option to just spray another pass of Roundup, something like that. But you could use conventional herbicides or cultivation or whatever you do for weed control. Uh, the other thing I'd suggest is University of Missouri has a pretty good um, database of what kind of stand reductions they've seen planting cover crops um, after different residual herbicides. Now, granted, this is Missouri, different weather, you know, different soils, all those kinds of things. So it's just kind of a guideline, not necessarily, hey, for sure, this is what's going to happen. But in that Anthem Max that you mentioned, you've got a little bit of Cadet, which doesn't really have much soil residual. I'm not worried about that. But you also have Zidua that does have soil activity. Um, I'm just looking at University of Missouri's data. They tried Zidua at three ounces, and two out of three years they saw some stand reduction with annual ryegrass. With cereal ryegrass, they didn't see a stand reduction. So it depends on which rye it is, for example, and then also what rate of herbicide is out there. So they use three ounces of Zidua. If you're using Anthem Max at, say, two and a half ounces, which is kind of a standard rate, there's only two and a half ounces of Zidua. So I would expect less stand reduction out of that. So 
the other thing would be to look at what kind of biomass you're getting out of that cover crop if you're going to be grazing or something like that. Now, for Brian and me, we don't really care about the biomass. We don't really care if it gets to be three feet tall or if it gets to be six inches tall, as long as it serves its purpose of keeping the soil in place. But if you're grazing, the biomass could be a big deal. And then, yeah, you may you may have to go away from uh, using as much residual or as higher rates or those types of things. But what I was trying to keep in mind, too, is what's your moneymaker on the farm? If your moneymaker is that corn silage, then you have to do everything to make the corn silage work. And maybe you have to change up your cover crops that you're going to use afterward. So, for example, uh, if you were putting out a clover or a vetch or uh, a pea or something else, um, radish, then you've got a lot different a lot of different choices. And in that case, you know, Zidua would be probably okay for those types of crops. So just have to do a little experimentation on your own as to how Colorado soils, Colorado conditions are going to change things. But uh, you, you should be able to find something you can use for a residual uh, that isn't going to hurt your crop or your cover crop too bad. Hey, thanks, Paul. I, we appreciate the question and, and appreciate what you're doing out there. All right, uh, I'm going to start this and then I'll, I'll finish up after this break. But I had a question that came in from Adam and he's got soil tests to take a look at. So he's got a couple different fields uh, that, that have got some different challenges. And uh, he said, guys, I, I sent in recommendations to the same lab you guys use, had them do a complete analysis. Uh, and what my intentions are is to take these two fields and make them the best they can be for the local deer herd. My goal is still yield, as I want to have as much food out there as possible, uh, but also nutrient density, as I seem to lose a lot of deer to neighboring farms, who I preserve, presume have better fertility and, and better food. So what do you think I could do to get things working? And if I've got some water issues out there, should I fix those first? We'll get to Adam's question coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. What's the difference between John, who bought Enlist One herbicide and Instinct Next Gen nitrogen stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket. Choose True Choice and get up to 10% back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com slash save more. Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. 
Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. For the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost, call us at 712-520-6051. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Also, uh, you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what Adam from Wisconsin did. He's got a couple of fields that he wants to just have tons of deer on. Uh, that's awesome, Adam. I, honestly, if I'm one of your neighbors, I'm doing everything I can to help you have all the deer on your farm and maybe not eating my corn or my soybean crop. Uh, so a few things. Uh, picking picking the right crops and the right mix for the deer is, is a big deal, obviously, and I'm not the expert on that one. Uh, but your idea is, can I improve the soil, thereby improve the nutrition, improve the abundance of crop and those types of things on my ground? Absolutely. So a couple of things. You mentioned drainage. Do you think I need to work on my water issues first before I spend the money on fertilizer? Um, so I'm just going to look at this as um, you, you've you got an unlimited budget, and I'll start from there, but uh, I'll give you my priorities as to what I would do on each of these fields. Um, I look at both of the fields as similar in that they both have very high base saturation percentages of magnesium. One is 28.5, the other is 29.5. And generally when you've got a lot of magnesium out there, uh, you've got a, a tighter, stickier soil. So you could improve natural drainage by increasing your calcium percentage, which is already at 68%, uh, but you could sure raise that a little bit by putting out probably some gypsum in this um, situation. That would be calcium sulfate because your sulfur is really, really low out there too. So that might be something that you apply some, some gypsum. You could kind of figure out how many pounds you need to apply to raise your base saturation of calcium, maybe up to, say, 75%. And then on your potassium, I would try to raise that potassium up to 7% on your soil test. And you can do the math on well, how many parts per million and how many pounds you would need to do that. Um, 
And in that case, you're going to be reducing that magnesium percentage by about, well, more than 10 points at least. So now you're down under 20% and you've got an almost ideal soil mix for your base saturation. That would help you a ton. And you've got a CEC anywhere from 12 to 17. So it's not going to be super expensive to do that. So on the fertility side, naturally, you could improve drainage. But if you want to put drain tile in, uh, that that's always a good thing, too. And I was thinking about this from the animal standpoint. If you've got sticky, muddy soil and I'm a deer, I don't really want to walk through the sticky mud. I'd rather walk through the dry soil to get my food if I could. So putting in drain tile might be a really nice thing too. I don't know exactly how big these fields are, but you say they're fairly small. Maybe it wouldn't cost a ton to get um, the tiling done, but you could see uh, if you got some neighbors that are doing some tiling to tie your project on there is probably no big deal. It'd probably take them an afternoon and they'd be all done. Um, so something to think about. Uh, on the fertility side, like I mentioned, with the calcium additions and potassium additions, those would be big. Also, I see that you're really just short overall in fertility. So to me, I look at sulfur, which we might address if you put out some gypsum, some calcium sulfate. Um, sulfur really adds to the taste of foods. So if you say, well, they don't really like the taste of my crop, try adding some more sulfur. I think that would be very interesting. The other thing is micronutrients we're pretty short in. And we did a study just in pasture with cattle. Uh, but I think this might be true for the deer too. Um, is we put a strip of micronutrients out in our pasture and we, we fence the area off. Then when we let the cattle into that area, they went right to the line where we had put the micronutrients out and ate that area first. So I think you're onto something by improving the fertility. We could improve the taste and the nutrition of the crop. The other thing I would say is this. Let's just say you're planting corn, Adam, and I, I, I'm wondering if that's what you're raising here. If you talk to seed dealers in your area, and if you just look at some of their seed plots where they've got a bunch of different hybrids compared, it seems like deer and raccoons and animals sometimes pick out one number that happens to be, I don't know if it's the sweetest or what it is, but there's one hybrid that gets hammered more than others. If you talk to seed dealers in your area, especially guys that have done it for a while, just ask them, hey, which of your hybrids do the deer really hammer? And I would try and pick those hybrids. <laughs> that would be a really good choice for you too, because there is a difference from one hybrid to the other, just like there's a difference in what kind of onion you get or what kind of apple you get or what kind of uh, bell pepper you get, those types of things. There is a difference in taste and so forth. So anyway, I would check those things out. And uh, yeah, if you could improve your drainage by adding some more calcium, adding some more potassium, adding some more sulfur, those things would be very helpful. I mean, obviously you need some more phosphorus to raise a crop. Um, and if we kind of start adjusting that pH down, more of the phosphorus that's tied up in your P2 Bray test is going to start coming available. And that, that could help you quite a bit, actually. And then add some more micros out there and see if it makes a difference. Maybe do all these things on one of the two fields and not the other and see if that changes where the deer like to go. But uh, I wish you luck. Uh, I'm sure all your neighbors wish you luck, too, that you get the deer instead of them as well. Hey, thanks, Adam. We really appreciate the question. Uh, got another question here from a different Adam. Uh, this Adam is down uh, 
in the Iowa or Nebraska area, southeast, so Iowa. Uh, Adam says, all right, guys, uh, I got a question about ammonium sulfate versus ammonium thiosulfate. So these are often abbreviated AMS for ammonium sulfate and ATS for ammonium thiosulfate. She said, the past few years, I've been putting out 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate per acre before planting for corn. I've got a friend that last year sprayed 10 gallons per acre of ammonium thiosulfate by itself before planting. For the 24 season, he was told he could cut back to five gallons. Well, that got me thinking, why can't I do the same thing and save some money this year uh, and use ammonium sulfate? Uh, what is your opinion on 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate versus ammonium thiosulfate at 5 or 10 gallons? My acres got 180 pounds of anhydrous, and um, I spread an 80-80-20 last fall. One farm will be third-year no-till corn on corn. Would I be shorting myself if I go ammonium thiosulfate? Hey, great questions, Adam, and there are a lot of choices out there. And, you know, part of this discussion is would I rather spray a liquid? Would I rather spread a dry? What What is going to be easier for me to do? Otherwise, hey, it's just fertilizer. So you look at ammonium thiosulfate, say it's a 120026 versus ammonium sulfate is often a 210024. They've got roughly the same amount of sulfur out there, and it's it's a little bit different in how much nitrogen. So yeah, nine pounds if you're spreading a hundred pounds out there. I don't think that's any big deal, nine pounds of N, but uh but the sulfur would be about the same if you're doing roughly 10 gallons of ammonium thiosulfate and 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate because ammonium thiosulfate weighs generally around 11 pounds per gallon. So by putting 10 gallons out, you're putting 110 pounds of product out there. So um, it's 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 a toss-up which way is going to work better. I, I don't really care. I, I'd use either of those. Uh, if you're spraying it by yourself by itself, ammonium thiosulfate is fine, um, and ammonium sulfate's fine too. So, yeah, wouldn't make any difference to me. It's just going to come down to how many pounds of nutrients. Now, cutting back to five gallons of ammonium thiosulfate, you just aren't going to have enough sulfur in corn on corn. I that's just too low a rate for me. Uh, I would be at a minimum using a hundred pounds. I would be kind of curious to see what happened if you put 200 pounds out. Did you get a yield response? Uh, we, we've seen a lot of growers who've been using one of these two products over the years. We've seen a lot of guys getting in your area, getting better yields by putting out even more. And the question has really come down to the sulfur recommendation and what we see uh, over decades of university research are they recommending we put enough sulfur out there? We're seeing a lot of the universities start to recommend more sulfur, and we're seeing farmers seeing more yield, adding more sulfur than they think they should. Why? Well, we used to get a lot of sulfur for free with air pollution in our country, and now we aren't getting that anymore. The air has been cleaned up a lot. We've got less sulfur in our diesel fuel, uh, less sulfur in many of the products we're putting out there. So there's just less sulfur. So we've got to spend the money and add a little bit more. So to me, Adam, uh, I wouldn't cut back on the rate, but if you can want to do some trial work on your farm, you, you definitely could. I think you're going to be shorting yourself if you only go five gallons of ammonium thiosulfate. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Had a fun time talking about ag in education on today's program. If you have a question, just send it in radio at agphd.com. 
Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD.